All right, we're going to read from the Bible, from Acts chapter 9. If you have a church Bible, that's on page 933. At Silo, we hold that the Bible is God's Word, and as it's read faithfully and taught, it's God speaking to us. And so we're going to read from, uh, from Acts 9, starting at sentence 1, going through to 31. The story of the conversion of Saul. Acts 9, sentence 1. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, he said. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings and the sons of Israel. I will certainly show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he stood up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. But all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on this name and then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe that he was a, a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him. And brought him to the apostles and explained to them how on the road Saul had seen the Lord and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. 
Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with all the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and it increased in numbers. This is the word of God. Well, good afternoon. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, good to have you here with us this afternoon. A big welcome if you're, if you're new. Uh, we love that you were here um, and we do hope you enjoy your time. Uh, I loved that, uh, that interview with Suze. Um, I remember when she first came to church and she was sitting in my lounge room and she's going through some hard stuff, but I love how God has worked in her now to get to the point of where she loves Jesus so much, she feels like the, 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 the nations need to know that as well. And I'm hugely encouraged by you, Sue. That's so cool. Uh, we're, we're looking at, fittingly, in, uh, we're in the book of Acts, second half of Acts, looking at the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Um, but looking at the conversion of Saul today, um, which I think I've been really struck by. I've been studying it this week, and I hope that comes through as I, as I speak to you guys. But I want to pray. I'm going to ask God that he would speak through me, just his servant, um, a sinner like you, that he would use me to, uh, to speak truth of the gospel, and that you would, you would hear a sermon, just like, not and just another sermon that you'll hear and you're just tuning out a bit, but actually God would address you wherever you're at today. Um, and whatever you're thinking about, that God would speak to your heart, and, uh, and he would really encourage you and help you fall more in love with Jesus. Let's talk to God together. Lord, we want to thank you um, that you're a God who, who loves us deeply, a love that we don't often understand or comprehend the height, the depth, and the width of. Lord, we want to thank you for, for our sister Suze and the way that you are working in her. Uh, Father, she is such an encouragement. Uh, thank you that you are helping her to to have a heart to go. I want to pray that you, you keep showing her the way forward with that. Father, we pray that as we come to your word today that um, you would help us to focus, to concentrate, to hear, to block out other thoughts or distractions that are in our minds or in our hearts, any feelings or, or worries that we have. We, we, we ask that you just put that to a side for a minute and we would hear our Father's voice. We would hear your voice speak and address our hearts. I pray you'd use me to speak a truth, a truth that transcends all understanding. Um, just use me as your servant and help us to see through this conversion of Saul uh, that you are sovereign over all things. There is no one outside the reach of your grace. And then you call us to go and make disciples of all nations. So Lord, I want to leave here today knowing uh, your plans and your purposes for us in this world. So Lord, bless our time we ask. Amen. I've confessed to you before that um, I'm a person that I absolutely hate small, confined spaces. Um, almost born in claustrophobia. claustrophobia. I, if I walk into a lift, the first thing I do is I've got to figure out how I would get out if it, if it stopped. So I'll look up and I'll say, okay, there's a trapdoor at the top of the thing. And then I start and, uh, thinking through what I'll do. I first punch a hole through the roof and think, what am I, Mr. Incredible? Um, but, you know, I knock the roof out. Then I get my kids and I throw them through. And I'm like, you know, that happens every time. My nightmare would be that, you know, they go caving. You know, where you go in your wetsuit and you the holes. That's my absolute nightmare. I would just get stuck and I couldn't get out. And that's, I, that, I hate that. That freaks me out. And I can, um, I can, uh, I know where this has come from. Um, 
when I was younger, I remember two times in my childhood being trapped and hating it. The first was when, and I think I might have told you before, when I was like five or six, and uh, my brother and sister are four or five years older than me, and we, uh, I remember the council brought around new garbage bins, the auto bins, right? And, um, and uh, my brother and sister thought it would be a cool idea to play in them for a while, and so we did. And they, they convinced me that the new auto bins would be a lovely cubby house for their little brother Gav to go into. And I, and I strangely enough, agreed. I thought, that's a great idea, Anthony Kell. I'll go and sit in the cubby house. And so I sat in the auto bin because I was small enough to fit in. And I'd sit, I sat at the bottom. And then I was enjoying it for about two seconds. And it all went black. And I couldn't see a thing because the lid had closed on me. I'm thinking, oh, it's weird. The lid's closed. And I tried to push it open, but it was stuck. I'm like, oh, a new bin, it's stuck. That's weird, it's new, it shouldn't be doing that. And then, um, and then I could quickly work out what was going on while my brother and sister just laughing their heads off as they were sitting on top of the auto bin so I couldn't, couldn't get out. And I remember being scared and traumatized for a very long time of auto bins. And um, the other time was when I, um, my dad was actually a butcher supplier. So that's what he, what he did was he'd supply all things to, to butchers like knives and aprons and, and sausage skins and a bit of a weird job, that's what he did. And he owned his own business, had a big truck, like a two-ton truck. And um, he, would, he was, had a bit of a sense of humour, so one day he said, oh, you know, you guys can ride in the back if you want. And he, he put it in the back and then he'd close the door and lock the door and he would drive around, it was fun. One day we did it and um, me and a friend were there and uh, we got in the back and we were driving like two minutes down the road. And then we drove, I think, to the shops or somewhere, and he parked the truck. But he thought it'd be funny to leave us in the back of the truck while he went to the shops. And so we were back in the back of the truck in pitch black for 20 minutes, just banging on the door, like, let me out, just screaming. You know, I think I just finally got over the whole auto bin incident, and now I'm back in the truck. And all I could smell was, like, sausage spices, like this, and you know, clothes stick of it. And that's, when I go, you know, and I can no longer eat a sausage without running, wanting to run outside. Um, I'm traumatized by sausages. And uh, I, I, hate, I hate the feeling of being trapped. I hate the, the thought of, I can't get out of this space. And I'm sure I was talking to someone this morning, they, saying they feel the exact same way. But I wonder if um, you're like that, or I'm sure a lot of us sometimes feel trapped by situations, or, or emotionally trapped. Feeling like there's nothing you can do or say to get out of a circumstance or change a circumstance. Maybe a state of a, a relationship that you're in or a career, or a vocation, or where you're at in life, or who you are, or who you want to be, and you feel like you just can't go anywhere. You feel so trapped by your circumstances, and you think that change can never happen. You know, she won't change, he won't change, it will never change, the relationship will never change, my kids won't change, the job won't change, this world will never change that we are in, and we're stuck with it. And it's an absolute horrible feeling. It's a debilitating feeling, where, where you feel like you just can't do anything to get out of the current situation that you are in. Change will not happen. Change will not come. As we've been reading through the book of Acts, and as we've been looking at this, one thing that's really stood out to me personally is that the book of Acts really is about the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. That he is alive, and he is the one who calls the shots. So many times in the book of Acts, you look at it, and it looks like things are out of control on the surface level. But really, Jesus is behind it, pulling the strings and calling the shots. He is the one who has a plan, and nothing will stop his plan from succeeding. And I think sometimes, and I do too, and I think sometimes we can forget that Jesus is not dead, that he is alive. I don't know if you've thought this idea that Jesus is alive right now on his throne, looking down on us here in this building. That is Jesus. He is alive. He is not silent. He is not disinterested. And he is not weak. But he is alive and he is powerful. 
and he, and he butts in and he changes lives and life. And he has a plan that is for his glory and for our good and he works all things new. Now, I don't think Jesus likes being put in the category of boring or predictable. That's not who he is. He's full of surprises and he changes things and turns things around. He turns, turns families around. He turns personalities around. He brings healing to relationships. He mends the broken. He opens and closes other doors. He is sovereign over all things. I don't know if we think that. He can change people. He can turn those who are against him and turn them around in a second to be those who are for him. He can save anybody. He can work in anyone's life no matter who they are or what their background is. And I wonder if you believe it. Do we trust in the power of God? Do we trust in his power to change? I think sometimes we can live as functional atheists, operating in a way that where God doesn't exist. We say he exists, but our belief in our life do not, do not show that. Almost like functional atheists. If we head into the second half of Acts, and especially this, this passage we look at today, we'll see the one who is in control of every circumstance, the one who was alive and who is sitting on his throne. And we see this so clearly in the conversion of Saul. I want to show that to you today. We're going to look at Acts 9 together, three observations that we just work through this passage, and I'll try and move through these. God is on the move, the fearless servant, and whatever it takes is where we're going to head today as we navigate this, this whole chapter. Context of where we've been, chapter 7 was when Stephen was killed. Uh, he, was, he was stoned to death. And then we met uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch on the road. Uh, and Philip um, spoke gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, came to know Jesus. But if you think back to the Stephen story, you'll, um, you'll remember that uh, Saul was there. Luke introduced for us this guy called Saul. And Saul was there giving approval to this man, Steve, to this man Stephen being killed. Um, let me show you um, on the screen behind me, uh, end of 7, start of chapter 8, it just says this, as they were covering their years, yelling on top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragging him out of the city, stoned him. Meanwhile, this is it, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here we meet Saul for the very first time. Saul is there. Uh, 8.1, you get Saul, it says there, and Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, great persecution broke out in all the church in, J- in Jerusalem. Uh, and then in three, but Paul, uh, Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women and put them into prison. That's who this guy is. This guy Saul was a guy who went and sought out Christians to drag them off to throw them into jail. That's what, that's what motivated this guy. That's who Saul is. He devoted himself to destroying the church. So much so he'd go from house to house to house to find Christians. That's what he wanted to do. And we meet Saul again on the start of chapter 9. Luke brings him back in again. And let me read this for you. It says this, 9, 1 to 3. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He read, he's just as zealous. He just wants to persecute Christian. That's the air that he breathed. This wasn't peripheral or a minor thing in his life. This is what he wanted to do. So much so that he would travel 250 kilometers north to Damascus to try and chase the Christians. Being in Jerusalem wasn't enough for him. If they went, he'd follow them. He wanted to find them, grab them, and then it says he killed them. That's what pushed this guy to do. That's what he was on about, killing Christians. Now, 
but he heads, uh, so we read, he, he's about to go north, gets a letter from the high priest, and wants to go to Damascus, go to all the synagogues and say, got any Christians? Let me get them, arrest them, back to Jerusalem and kill them. But he's on the way to Damascus, and what happens? He doesn't get there. He meets someone. He meets the risen Lord Jesus face to face. Look at Genesis 4 to 9 with me. It says this. As he neared Damascus, that's uh, Saul, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand of Damascus, and for three days he was blind, not eating or drinking anything. Jesus appears to this man, Saul, Saul being the chief uh, persecutor of the church. And I love what we learn here a little bit on the side about Jesus. You learn that, learn that uh, in sentence four, he says, why do you persecute me? Jesus says to Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul and Jesus never met each other. So what's Jesus saying here? What's, what he's saying here is he's saying to Saul, you're persecuting me by persecuting the church. There's a really uh, an amazing link here and uh, affiliation with Jesus and his people. If, if Jesus' people are being persecuted, Jesus is saying it affects me. And so he says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And I love here Jesus' authority. He asks Saul a question. Saul asks a question back. And then Jesus says, now Saul, get up and go. And Saul does. He just follows his authority. Jesus is the one in control. He's the one who sought this man out and calls the shots. And what I found interesting as I was looking at this this week is that um, Jesus didn't go to Saul and say, hey, you know, I died for you. I love you. I care for you. I, you know, um, uh, you're forgiven. All he does is he's appear, he appears to Saul. He just appears to him. I think that's really interesting. I think that the fact here is that um, Saul knew that Jesus lived, but he didn't believe he rose from the dead. Didn't believe that at all. Thought that Jesus died and that was it. But here, Saul clearly meets the risen Lord Jesus. And so for Saul, his whole faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. That's why he can say in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed in that moment. But how did this happen? How did this killer of Christians become a Christian himself? What's going on here? Um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a person who uh, I love to be in control. I don't like being out of control or, or uh, I find new places, new situations, new environments um, a bit scary. The fear of the unknown is what, what, is, what is going on there and I, I like to be in control. Um, you know, when I'm up here and preaching, I have written out every single word, word for word. There are, there are 5,000 words here that I will speak to you today, if you want to know that. And I write them out word for word because I want to, I want to know what I'm going to say. Um, at my old church, when I used to preach there, when I was New York preaching, I would write out my sermon in full, and then I would practice it at least three times, fully, word for word, and I'd go to the church building, when there was no one in the church building, I would get in the pulpit where I was going to be, I'd get the microphone out, and I'd practice it exactly how I was going to give it at least three times. So the time I gave it to people was the fourth time I've done it in practice. Uh, I sometimes have a nightmare where I, I'm, I'm in my nightmare, I'm preparing my sermon, I've got no more time left, and it means I've got to get the front and I'm not prepared, and I often wake up in a cold sweat thinking, oh no, I'm out of control, and obviously it's a dream that, uh, that I haven't had uh, happen yet. Um, but I, I don't, I hate being out of control. I feel, I don't, I feel overwhelmed with not knowing what's going on in a situation. But the crazy thing is, and as a lot of us know, that, that there aren't many times in life where we actually are in control. 
things always happen where uh, we are the one calling the shots. I like to think that I am, but I'm really not. I think in this situation with Saul, we see Jesus, as we have in the book of Acts, is the risen one who is in control of this whole situation. He's orchestrated the whole thing. He's the one on this Damascus road as the one who's appeared to Saul. He's the one who, who's out of this light shines down and he appears to him and he talks to him. He is the one who, who will build his church and change the lives by the power of God. Here we see Jesus, the one who reigns over all things. He's the one who turns things around and he is alive. And he does it so suddenly and out of the blue. He finds the chief persecutor of the church and he meets him and then turns him around in a heartbeat, in a second, and makes him the chief advocate of Christianity. I was trying to think of what a modern day example this would be like, right? And, and, and roll with me on this. It would be like if the head of one of the head guys of ISIS came to know Jesus in a heartbeat and then turned around and started and try to share the gospel with people in ISIS about, about Jesus. That's what, that's what this is here going on here. This is what is going on here. And this is what we think, this is crazy. And what I love about here is that Jesus shows us and teaches us that no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter your moral standing, no matter your baggage, no one is out of God's reach. God's reach of grace is not too short. And what I love about this story is that, and I'll show you something in a minute, is that this story, this conversion of Saul, Jesus could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have, you know, um, got some of the apostles to get beside Saul and over a number of months and years meet with him and talk to him and slowly win him over. He could have done that. Or he could have just appeared to him. But what I love is, is that he did it this way for us. And I want to show you this. This is a really amazing thing. I want to show you 1 Timothy for 1, 15 to 16. The book of Timothy is Paul writing it. So Saul to Paul. Paul writes this and he's writing to the younger Timothy. This is like 30 or 40 years later after his conversion. And look what Paul says here. I am the foremost of sinners, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. What he's saying here is, He's saying that when God, when God saved Saul, he had us in mind. God saved Paul for our sake, so that we would see overflowing grace and divine mercy and perfect patience, and we would take courage and hope for our own salvation and for the salvation of others. Seeing that, nobody is out of God's reach. If Saul can be converted like that, then anybody can. Then anybody can. God can reach anybody can save anybody. And God wants us to see this conversion that the most unlucky people can come to know him. God's mercy and power are not limited to those who have been brought up in a Christian family or went to a Christian school or, or, or have a church association or who have a clean moral track record. That is not how our God works. The chief of sinners was converted. And this means hope in sharing Jesus with others in our lives, but also hope for us in our own faltering walk with him. That's what God wants to show us through his conversion of Saul. Nobody is beyond God's reach. There are people in our lives, our family, our friends, who we long to come to know Jesus, thinking their heart's too hard, that God can't reach them. No, he can. He can. And he can break through anybody. 
We need to keep praying and seeking and speaking and living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, knowing that God can, 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 can open up the hardest of hearts. But I want to keep moving on with this story and see how Saul responds. So I'm going to show you the next part, which is 10 to, 10 to 19. And I'm going to read this for us. And we meet this amazing man called Ananias. What I love in the book of Acts is we meet these, these people for just for one or two chapters. And they're amazing people. Like Philip, here's another one, Ananias. In, a, in Damascus, there was a disciple who was the follower of Jesus, and his name was Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Very particular, straight streets, we've got to go. And ask, I'm sure it was straight, anyway. And ask for a man called uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said, Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has, uh, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scars fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got, got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength and spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. We, we, we met this guy called Ananias. And he is just, just a follower of Jesus, like he's not an apostle or a leader in the church. He's just a man uh, who loves Jesus. And Jesus appears and says, go and uh, see this man called Saul. And rightly so, Ananias thinks, Jesus, you are out of your mind. You're crazy. You're crazy. Do you know who this guy is? Most likely, Ananias would have been running away from Saul because he's going to try and kill him. And Jesus goes, no, no, now run towards him. Go towards uh, Saul. And Ananias is like, no, not going to happen. I'm not going that direction. And, and, and uh, Jesus says to Ananias, I, I know this guy. I know I, I've, I've saved him. And he's going to be uh, an, an instrument in my hand to take the gospel to many people, the kings. Um, Jesus is telling, telling Ananias that he's turned him around and no longer he's going to make Christians suffer. Uh, Jesus says that he will suffer for my sake, being a follower of Jesus. So Ananias goes and does what Jesus tells him to do. And it is, is exactly as Jesus says. And he calls Saul brother, recognizing him as a follower, and Saul regains his sight. And he's baptized and accepted into the Christian community. And I love this story here. It's a simple, it's such a short little punchy story. I love Ananias here in this situation. He's a guy he, who, 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 if this went bad, he'd be killed. If Jesus got this wrong, then Ananias would lose his life. Saul would arrest him and then take him back to Jerusalem and kill him for his faith. So a lot was on the line here for Ananias. But he goes and he obeys, even though it seems crazy. Even though he can't see God's plan in this, he hears God's voice and says, okay, I will go because you tell me to go. And he can't see what's going on. Just this week, my, uh, my little boy Jet uh, turned seven. He had a birthday this fr- last Friday and he had a great day. Uh, he woke up uh, early at 6.30 and he was so buzzed. Um, normally I wake up at 6.30 and hate life for a good half an hour and just think, why Jesus? Uh, but um, he woke up and he's like, ready to go. This is the best day of my life. Um, we gave him our present, you know, Hot, Hot Wheels racing track. He was like over moon over that. And then, um, and then we also got him tickets to uh, see a monster truck show at the ANZ Stadium, which I'm excited about. 
And he, Indian and I, go and watch Monster Trucks. And um, he got another two presents from a friend, and he was like, presents galore, he was like over the moon, in the day it hadn't even started yet. I dropped him to school, and I made cupcakes for him to bring with his friends, and yes, I bake and I like it. Um, and then I uh, had a great day at school, happy birthday to him, had a great day eating cupcakes with his friends. I picked him up, we went to Piccolo's for a, a story milkshake together, which was great. Cam dropped by in the afternoon and got him this cool present. He had a great time with that. Then at the night time, I said, hey, bud, choose what you want to do for your birthday. Any meal you want, Maccas, whatever you want. He goes, Dad, I want sushi. That's very Balmain of you. Well done, buddy. <laughs> he, also wanted a, he, also wanted a skinny, he also wanted a skinny decaf latte, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, we had sushi together, and, um, and, uh, and my brother and my sister came, and, and Kate's parents came, and he got lots of presents there, and he actually got a remote control monster truck, a monster truck everywhere at the moment, and uh, Katie made him this birthday cake, which you can see here, which is, you know, the Women's Weekly Special, you know, they don't have that for their birthdays, the yeah, Women's Weekly Special, you flick the book, he wanted the, the garbage truck that actually had lollies in the back of it as well, wasn't sugary sugar enough, more lollies in the cake, right, so had that for his birthday, um, and I remember uh, that night we got home, Friday night we got home, and um, we were laying in bed, and, and uh, we prayed together, read the Bible together, and he said, Daddy, this was the best birthday ever. I hear it's just like, yes it was, buddy, we had a great day, and I'm going to monster trucks. Um, and, uh, but what's funny, he has all these new toys, my son loves new things, he loves new toys. And uh, his problem now is he has so many new toys, he can only play one at a time. And so that's a problem because he has two other sisters who want to play with the other ones that he's not playing with. And so he's trying to hoard them together and not let anybody else play with them, right? Because they're his. And so his you know, seven-year-old brain is like, they're mine, you don't get them. And you can never get them. I get them all the time, right? That's what he's thinking. And so I had to sit down and say, Bud, look, you know, you have amazing toys, but you can't play them all at once. Let your sisters play with them. And, um, but he, he, he can't comprehend that. He's got these seven. And so they, people gave them to him, so they're his. So he's like, why do they play with them? They're mine. I don't understand that. And so I had to say, we're going to be generous with our stuff. I'm going to share. And he, he, he can't get it. He doesn't get it yet. But the cool thing is that he knows as a dad that I love him. And he trusts me. And even though he doesn't understand it, he'll do what I ask. He'll obey. Because he, he knows that I love him. He knows that he can trust me even though he can't see what's going on here. And what I love here with Ananias is the same thing. Jesus appears to him, and he says, go and see Saul. He goes, that's, that's crazy. But he knows that Jesus loves him, and so he obeys. Even though he can't see the situation play out. He obeys, even when it's a crazy and dangerous idea to go and see Saul, the Christian killer. But he goes, and he follows him. Now, there's no way that Ananias could have verified before he went whether Jesus was right or not. He obeyed and he went, even when it was hard. And I love Ananias' faithfulness here. He's a faithful, fearless servant. That's who he is. And I wonder if we were to think about this today and I think, how do we apply this and think about how this relates to us? I wonder, are we like Ananias in that way? Uh, what, are, what is Jesus calling us to do? What does he call you to do day by day? What does he ask you to do? How does he ask you to obey? What does Jesus ask you to do as a follower of him? You know, we can say we are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says, some of the commandments. Here we talk about the idea of loving God, loving the church, loving the world. But what does that look like for us day by day to obey, to follow his call, 
even when we don't see the situation playing out well, even though we can't see that doing that would help us in any way, but he's calling us to obey, to obey him. What does that look like? It doesn't look like anything for you. Would you describe yourself as a faithful, fearless servant of Jesus? And if not, what, what holds us back? Is it a lack of trust? Is it because we don't want to? What is it that holds us back from obeying, from obedience? from following Jesus and trusting him when he calls us to go or calls us to live a certain way or calls us to get rid of something. What holds us back? I want to pick this up at the end. And I'm going to look at the third point and then bring it all together. So I want to look at here just finally and thirdly, um, sentences 20 to 31, we get back to seeing what Saul is going to do and what he is like. And we see this radical change in his life going from the Christian killer to one who's willing to give his life. And he almost does in his first few days. Look at this. Sentence 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And he hasn't, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners as chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews in Damascus by, provided, by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was, there, there was conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day, uh, day and night they kept close watch in the city gates in order to kill him. But the followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him, in, uh, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and now in Damascus he had preached fearlessly the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved around freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. And he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him for Tarsus. And the church, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit increased in numbers. I love this. We meet Paul, we meet Saul, sorry, and he's converted. He meets Jesus. And straight away, he's overcome by grace, by God's favor on him. He can't help but speak. And so he goes out and he goes, wherever I want to go to, I'm going to speak the gospel. I just need to go and talk. And so he goes out and preaches. And you can imagine the confusion amongst the, the, the Jews in Damascus. He's like, well, hasn't he come here to try and kill the Christians yet? He's trying to convert us to be Christians? Is there a trick going on here? What's going on here? They say in sentence 21, then we read, in, we, then we read that Saul, the, the hunter, the hunter of Christians, has now become the hunter. They want to kill him. Twice, in almost his first few weeks of being a Christian, he's, his life's being threatened for being a follower of Jesus. Now Saul at that point could have gone, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. That, that is too much. I don't want to be killed for a Christian. And, and could have backed out, but he didn't. You know, imagine what, if you just think about Saul for a second, he would have lost all his friends. He would have lost all respect. He would have lost all authority he had, maybe even his family. He lost everything. He gave up everything he had. He was an up-and-coming, well-educated man in the Jewish system, could have, could have climbed the rungs of the Jewish church to become, you know, a high priest or whatever, but chose to give it all away. Gives it all away. Now he's now being lowered down through baskets, through holes in walls, being chased because he's a follower of Jesus. But it doesn't, it doesn't not deter Saul at all. If you read in the epistles, what motivates him again and again is he, he just believes he didn't deserve any of it. He 
He's motivated by God's grace and God's mercy. And out of that, he just wants to go and talk. He can't help but, keep, he can't help but not talk about Jesus. It's just got to come out of him. He's so overcome by God's grace. And he now knows that God met him. Jesus met him and says, now go to the nations. Go to the kings. You read through the book of Acts. He goes and meets with kings and rulers and leaders and he debates with them. And that's who he has become. I think the catchphrase for Paul's life really is, go to the ends of the earth, whatever it takes. And he does it. Whatever it takes, he goes. I think sometimes we forget that Saul was a real man. He's a real man who did this. This is what he did. Whatever it takes, he would go. Because he had this amazing picture of God's grace and God's love, and he had this amazing picture of eternity and of hope. So he lived out of that. You know, how, how do we read this? How do we apply this as readers 2,000 years, as, as you know, Paul being our brother in Christ? How do we apply this to us? You know, can, can we say, or, or shouldn't we say, you know, maybe that's Paul, though. He was special, had a special job to go to the nations and preach. That's his job, it's not mine. How do we apply this? Well, at the start of this year, we, uh, we floated at something called the Vision 2018, 2018 idea. So we, we had this vision for the church for the next three years with what we wanted to be or do or go forward. And we said that as a church, our mission is and always has been to see people who don't know Jesus come to find a real relationship with Him. That's what we wanted to be as a church. And we saw this happening when people came to love God, love the church, and love the world. And we believe and take Jesus' call seriously in Matthew 28 through the whole Bible is to go and make disciples, to be a witness. Like Paul, be so overwhelmed by the grace of God that we've got to go and tell the word about this hope and this meaning and this purpose about the creator of the universe. And we said that we, at the start of the year, we want to see 100 people come to know Jesus over the next three years. Now, that's a big aim, but we also know we have a big God who says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And you know what? We believe here at City Light, and I believe that Jesus has more people in this city yet who don't confess his name. There are more people out there who don't confess his name. And we, as his followers, are called to be faithful and fearless and go in the power of the Holy Spirit and tell others about this life-changing message of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I, I truly believe that the longing of every human heart is to know the Creator. Is to be connected to back to, to the Father in heaven. To be know this forgiveness and freedom and identity that is found only and fully in Him. And I think, one of the, I think the most loving thing we can do is share that to the world around us. I'm convinced of that. And that's why we talk about this as being our vision for, for our church, but for the next three years especially, is seeing 100 people come to know Jesus. That's massive. That's like you know, easily doubling our numbers like in three years. That's a huge task. But we also know, as we see in the book of Acts here, that Jesus builds his church. This is going to happen as we pray, as we trust, and as we go. And the thing is, when we talk about this at the start, is this can't be just a, a thing that just Jez and I do. This is us as a church. We want to be a spectatorless church. Where we get, this is where we're heading. And I want to say, I think this idea of sharing Jesus, it's scary, but it's also exciting. I often think at my job, what I do as a pastor, and I love what I do. It's hard, but I love what I do. And for me, what I love about it is, is that I keep trying to have a, a, a perspective of what's going on. I keep, keep trying to think about eternity. 
And what I long to, 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 to do and to see and to remember is that I can't wait to be in heaven. I look forward to heaven a lot. And I can't wait to be in heaven and see you there with me and say, hey, remember Cedar, how good that was? But here we finally made it home. How cool would it be if you shared the gospel with your neighbors or your friends or your siblings or whoever it is, and you shared that with them, and then in a turn he said, hey, do you remember when I shared the gospel with you? But how cool is it we made it home together? I keep trying to think of it. Does my life make sense in light of eternity? If I'm to spend the whole of my life, the, the majority, the vast majority of my life in eternity, I want, I want to make sense in light of that. Rather than this 70 years or so. I want my life to make sense of eternity. I wonder, does, does how you're living make sense of eternity? Now, under this, under this 2018 vision, we have um, five goals to try and achieve this vision. We try to put all this together in a strategic planning day. And they are to, we want to really strengthen missional community groups. We see those as the engineer of church. If they function well, church will go well. We want to strengthen our governance system and structure. We want to create a youth ministry going forward to reach teenagers and youth around the area. We want to figure out our property expansion. Because if we get more people, we need more buildings. And we, need, we want to think about global mission. Over the next part of Acts, we're going to look at these goals one by one. We want to keep in sight where we're heading as a church and to keep us on board and on track as a church, we want, what we want to do. And what, what I love, we want to keep asking you, are, are you on board with this? Because this is where we're heading as a church. Uh, we're, we're pretty upfront with what we do as a church. We want to be really transparent in all that we do and all that we say. And so this is where we're heading as a church. And we want to be a, a bunch of people, a church who are fearless and faithful to the servant of the Lord, living out of the grace he has shown us. I want to say, are, are we up for taking the gospel out to the ends of the earth, whatever it takes? Are, are we willing to give things up? Like comforts and time and pleasure and money for the sake of, of proclaiming Jesus and building his kingdom? Would you be willing to move house? Would you be willing to give up a job for his sake? Are you willing to be a part of building his kingdom here at City Light so that it makes sense in light of eternity? We often hear this thing of oh, giving up things, giving up things, it's really hard, and I, and I get it, but there's, a, there's a, such a cool parable in um, Matthew 13, 1344 where Jesus uh, says, The kingdom of God... A kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds this treasure in a field. And out of his joy, he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Because he knows that's where his treasure is. And I love that out of his joy, he sells everything. Not out of a duty or a burden. Out of his joy, he sells everything when he finds this kingdom of heaven. I want to ask that question, are we in on this? You know, it's funny, I was preaching here this morning, and it happens now and again, I think I was really convicted by my own sermon. Stuff from weird, right? And I sat down there afterwards going, wow, am I in? Whoa, do I, am I going to do what it takes? But I think I've got a really amazing perspective on, I want to live, I want my life to make sense of eternity. I want to meet Jesus, and Jesus is going to say to you, well done, Gav, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. You did well with what I gave you. You did what I asked you to do. As a preacher, the one says, you know, we often think that, that coming to church and going to MC and all those sort of things is what Jesus wants us to do. He doesn't say it in the Bible. You may go to like 400 MCs or whatever, and, you'll say, and Jesus will say, what did you do for me? Oh, well, I went to 400 MCs. And like, well, I don't care. I asked you to make disciples. 
trust you to do. That's what he calls us to do. We obey what he calls us to do. I want to see people who, who joyfully follow our Lord and our King and who live in light of eternity so that it makes sense. That's where we are heading as a church. We be people who joyfully sacrifice what we need to for the sake of seeing people come to know Jesus. I want to finish with just speaking of one of these goals that I think is pretty exciting. This is, sort of, this, this is my thing. It's about property expansion. I think, oh, what a property expansion. But I think this is really, really exciting. Three and a half years ago, we were given this building here, which is a huge blessing. We pay nothing for it, pretty much, and we run church out of it week by week, have it seven days a week, and it's been a huge blessing for us. By the sovereign grace of God, we've got this. And uh, the cool thing is that um, just recently, I've been, oh, City Light's been offered another building to plant another church in, another City Light church in, which I think is super exciting. And, I, and I really, I'm really excited about this. Um, it's often said in, in research, in church, church growth and church um, uh, uh, multiplication that one of the greatest ways to reach people that's been tracked is by planting new churches. Because if churches, new churches start, for some reason attracts uh, more um, people who don't know Jesus and more people come to know him through these new churches. And it makes sense because if you're a new church and you're small, you grow or you die pretty much. And so you have to be outward looking. And so I think we've been given another amazing opportunity from our Lord. Have a look at this. You might have seen this before. It's architect's drawings. Another slide there. Thanks. This is in Burwood, this building. Um, the, our network of the CCC OST guys have, uh, are super excited for what has happened here at City Light. It's far exceeded expectations and mine too of what's happened here, what God has done. Um, you know, we started here, and I remember having 10 people here for a dinner four years ago. And we set out all the chairs that you guys are sitting on right to the back. And I remember as a, as a group of 10, that's all we had at the church at the time, we prayed over those chairs and saying, God, fill these chairs three and a half years ago. And now we have two services like that. And I think it's exciting that we're going to try and do this again. So we're going to, try and, we're going to launch City Light Burwood in May 2018. And it's a new building. This new building will hold up to 300 people. Um, and it is right on Burwood Road. It's right behind Westfield. Burwood is a hugely, uh, uh, it's growing super fast. I was there just the other day trying to look at the area. I met up with a few pastors, oh, a pastor in the area to ask him what the, what the area is like to try and understand it a bit better. Um, and it, it is, he was, this pastor was saying on the weekends, it just gets flooded with people coming into the area. And I think this is an amazing opportunity to reach people in Burwood for the sake of God's kingdom. We're going to be sending a, a launch team over there. Um, you know, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 people, whatever we get, to send across and starting this in early uh, 2018. And it'll most likely be a campus plant that will start and then eventually as it gets, as it gets bigger, we'll just send it off as its, own church plant, as, as its own church, autonomous church. But I want to say this is super exciting. I want to say, would you consider going, would you consider moving to the area? Would you consider going and renting or buying a place over in that area of Burwood so you can be part of that community? Would you, would you be keen to put your hand up and say, yeah, I want to lead an MC, or I want to lead an M area, or I want, to, I want to invest in this launch team and really invest in, from the ground up, set the DNA of this church so we can reach out to more people in the area? You know, would you be willing to do whatever it takes to reach people in Burwood and the surrounding areas for Jesus? If you were to ask any of those who were part of the launch team here back three years ago, I think that none of them would regret being a part of that team. We were basically waiting on God to work. There was like, like 25, 26 of us. 
We were praying, and we didn't know what was going to happen. The first week we opened our doors, we didn't know if anyone was going to turn up. We just had to pray and wait for God to work. And it all strengthened our faith hugely. I think this is another opportunity to be a part of another church we can reach out for the people in Burwood. We're going to hear more about this over the next you know, coming months and years as we get this closer. But if you have any questions, chat to Jess or I about it. We're super excited about this as we go forward. You know, I, I've said a lot here today. There's a lot of things to think about. But as usual, I want to invite the band up to lead us in, in worship. And, but I wanted to challenge us to think about does your life make sense in light of eternity? When you hear the story of Paul or Saul to Paul, you hear the story of Ananias, does that resonate with you? Did that push you away? What, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Are you willing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and do whatever it takes? Let me give you time to reflect and then we'll sing together.